Under normal circumstances, I would start the service off by saying it's 35 days till Easter. And we're doing everything we can to lead someone who is close to us, closer to Jesus Christ. But today is not normal, at least not for me. What I'm thinking about is how many days do I have left with my dad. And many of you know that uh, my dad was admitted to critical care uh, because they suspected uh, he had pneumonia. Well, it turns out that it was not pneumonia that he has. He has cancer throughout his body. And the prognosis is not good. And for many of you, you've been in that place with someone you love. And it's just a hard place to be. And what I'm thinking about is how many more days I have left with him. And uh, I appreciate your prayers for my dad and my family. And I'm grateful to be with you and my church family today. You know, I had no idea on February 16th when I preached about the trail of awe, making that daily journey in God's word to see Christ and stand in awe of him so that you just say, I want to fully trust in you. I had no idea on that Sunday how important those very words would be for my own heart. And I just want to tell you, I've been trying to travel that trail of awe every day because I need to fully trust Jesus Christ. And uh, circumstances like these are really good reminders of how much in the most difficult times we need to travel that trail and trust the Lord. And there may be some of you in this room today that are in far more difficult circumstances than I am in. And I just want to let you know you're not alone and it's hard to decide to take that trail when you're hurting. But I just want to remind you that if you'll take that trail and you'll strive to see Jesus, he's worth trusting with everything you are. You know, I hated not being here last Sunday. Circumstances unfolded with my dad. I just didn't feel like I could come home. I'm grateful I've had those windows of time with him. I know I will never regret having. But I was really sad about not coming home to preach last Sunday and it was a couple reasons one was because there's just something about being with my church family praising the Lord and hearing you praise the Lord you know there's sometimes even this morning I couldn't sing but I could hear you sing and there's just something about being with your church family when you're hurting that really helps so I missed not being here another reason I missed uh, being away, missed being here is because um, last Sunday's passage was particularly important to me personally. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, that was a part of the passage that Kurt preached last Sunday. That particular verse, which says, We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we might present every man complete in Christ. That passage has been representative of my passion to help other men grow in Christ for the last decade. So it's super meaningful to me. And so I had been looking forward to preaching that passage since I began planning out the book of Colossians and God saw fit that my circumstances prevented me from preaching that passage. Now here's the gift in that. 
I may determine my steps, but God is the one who establishes the plans for me. And I need to trust him. And I was reminded last Sunday of how much I need to keep trusting the Lord. So I'm grateful for that lesson. But I still missed you. This Sunday's passage is no less important to me personally. This passage today, Colossians 2, 1 through 7, is a passage that over 25 years ago, I used in an interview with a search committee when I was interviewing for my very first local church ministry position, full-time position in the local church. I was asked the question, what is your vision for the ministry? I was interviewing to become the college pastor of a local church in Bryan College Station. And when I was asked that question, I began the answer to that question with Colossians 2, 2 through 3, which is just a portion of what we're going to cover today. But I began that interview question, what is your vision for the ministry? the ministry with that verse which says I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery Christ in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge I just want you to know for the last 25 years of full-time ministry that passage really summarizes my passion for ministry. I want people to know Christ and to discover the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Him. And I believe that we will do that when we come together as a loving family seeking the Lord together. That's a passion of mine. And I, and I love this entire passage because this entire passage is really Paul's reflection of his own burden for the local church in Colossae and the local church in Laodicea. And he's just saying, this is my heart for the church. And this passage, I wanted to reflect my heart for the church, for you. So this, this is really important to me. And I hope that you will hear today my heart. In addition to that, I want you to know that for months, we have planned for a Sunday where the entire directional team would be up here and to function as a panel so you could hear our hearts. And so months ago, we planned this because I thought as I was planning the series in Colossians, it'd be really neat to have our whole directional team of pastors share out of a passage. And so today is that day we plan to do that. And so I, I really believe as we work through this passage, you're going to hear the heart of your directional team. Now I want to remind you what the directional team is. The directional team is a group of pastors who have together agreed to provide oversight, shepherding, leadership, and guidance for our church family so that everyone in our church family and all the ministries of our church would grow and flourish. What we want to do, what God has called us to do, even specifically this year, is to help everyone in our church family lead someone who is close to them, to closer to Jesus. That is our desire. And so this group of pastors together oversees and guides our church family because we believe that together 
we can provide greater ministry leadership for our church family together far better than any one of us could do it by themselves. And so we wanted you to see that and experience that today and hear our heart out of this passage. And so I'm going to be asking these guys some questions out of this passage. We'll be functioning together as a panel in hopes that you would be encouraged by that. Now our directional team of pastors functions as a plurality of pastoral leadership. If you want to hear more about who leads our church and why it matters, and you were not here January 26th, or you want to get a refresher on that? On January 26th, there was a sermon preached by David Griffith, Who Leads the Church and Why It Matters, that I would encourage you to listen to. You can listen to it at fbg.church media on January 26th. Incredible sermon about, about church leadership. And it will give you a great perspective on what we're talking about. Now, this is the directional team of pastors. They're going to introduce themselves as I ask them some questions this morning. But I want to let you know how the directional team actually happened. Like, how did this come about? Well, as a church family, you um, called and appointed each one of these men behind me, including myself, to a role as a pastor in our church family. So we have a process that our church follows in searching out and finding pastors and then we elect them and appoint them to those positions. Each one of us have been appointed by you as a pastor in our church family. And then I made a recommendation to our personnel committee. Our personnel committee is made up of nine church members, just like you. Some of you in this room who were a part of that. And I, I recommended these individuals serve as a part of what was previously called the executive staff of our church. And we have changed the terminology to directional team, directional pastors, so that you understand that we're about helping our church follow the Lord Jesus Christ so that we grow and flourish. And so that's how this team came together, and we're functioning together as a team, again, because I believe that I will do a better job, that each of us will do a better job in leading you when we do it together than if any one of us would try to do it just by ourselves. And so I'm excited for you today to hear our hearts, and I hope it'll be an encouragement to you. Now what we're going to do is we're going to read through Colossians 2, 1 through 7, and we're going to work through a set of questions related to those verses. So if you'll open your Bibles and just keep them open there to Colossians 2. Um, I'm going to be reading from the Christian Standard Bible as we work through this. And so if you'll just read along with me, we're going to entertain some questions this morning. Um, I want to start with Colossians 2, verse 1. And so if you look at verse 1, Colossians 2, it says, For I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you, for those in Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me in person. Now I want to start with Brett. I just want to ask Brett, as a pastor, um, what represents your struggle or your passion for our FBG family? Brett? And tell them who you are in your area of service as you guys start answering okay. questions. I'm Brett Levi, and I'm the family pastor, so I oversee our birth through 18, kids ministry, youth ministry, and then tag team with some other guys in other areas as they overlap. Uh, for me, the, the struggle and the passion are the exact same thing at this stage of ministry for me. Um, for years, um, I don't even know how many years, I was a youth pastor here, and felt this call to see teenagers grow into 25-year-old disciples. And, and through those years, you would see research that would talk about uh, teenagers that go to college or as they're young adults, they fall away. And 
and, and that was a burden for people. And, and then the more we studied the, the teenage world, we realized that the Bible had given us the answer a long time ago. Um, and that the key to seeing teenagers become young adults who are following Jesus uh, is not uh, great youth ministry and, and, and flashy events and things like that. It was it's parents discipling their kids. And I think as I got older and God began to move in me, I started to have this passion to reach teenagers, but not just to hang out with them, but to see their, their moms and dads uh, and, and their grandparents to lean in and disciple them. And so my, my struggle and my passion become the same thing um, because we, we live in a culture uh, where in the church, and I, and I use that as like the, the capital C church, at least in North America and the countries I've been in, uh, our discipleship model has been with, with teenagers and children, we, we bring them to church and we bring them to vacation Bible school and we bring them to a Wednesday night and we, we're trusting that we're going to pick up fully devoted followers of Jesus and load them in the back seat and take them home. And it just doesn't work. And so in, in developing some uh, the discipleship plan to help families lean in and moms and dads and grandparents and aunts and uncles to lean in and start discipling the next generation, that's become my passion. The struggle is it's like um, tilling up hard earth because it is so foreign to what we're used to doing uh, as followers of Christ. We're used to uh, counting on life group leaders or pastors to disciple our kids. And so on a regular basis, I, I send a message to somebody or a phone call. I try to make it a habit that once a day to reach out to one, one family in our church and say, how are you doing with your discipleship plan? And, and I think the struggle is too often I get, uh, tell me about that again. And I go, yeah, it was like, you remember that sermon series two weeks back in May? And most people go, yeah, I vaguely remember that. And it's just, it's so new. Um, but it's a passion to see it happen. But a struggle because for most of us, we are so busy with life and doing the things we've always done. I, I feel like we're laying some of our, our most treasured possessions, the next generation, on the sideline uh, waiting for later. And so I have this passion to see the church disciple the next generation through families. But it's at the same time a struggle because we're learning how to do it like yeah. we've never done it before. Yeah, that's good. Just a little insight into our connection. Uh, Brett was kind enough to give us all a special gift. Uh, and he gave us socks with his face on them. <laughs> and so today we're wearing those in honor of Brett or... Because we like to step on Brett. I'm not sure which <laughs> is the case there, but uh, yeah. David, what about you? Passion, struggle. Uh, so it's interesting that as I thought about this question, I went to the same passage of Scripture you did because it summarizes the passion that I've had in my years of ministry, which is uh, to present everyone mature in Christ and specifically. I've been focused on carrying that out in two different ways. And by the way, I am David Griffin, and I am the care pastor, and I was supposed to say that at the beginning. Uh, so there's two, two ways that uh, I focus on that. One is uh, by leading the church to provide Christ-centered care and support for people going through tough times so that those tough times help them mature in Christ, not grow away from Christ and be bitter toward him. And the other way is by laboring uh, to help FBG be a safe place 
for people to openly and honestly confess their sin and their brokenness. And that's grown out of my own life pilgrimage because I spent so long in the church hiding who I was. And I began to realize I'm not the only broken person in the church and that we all need to confess our brokenness so that we can move toward maturity in Christ. That's great. Thank yeah, you. so meaningful. Now, let's, let's look at verses 2 and 3. It says, I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul is expressing a concern for the church that overflows out of his own understanding of Jesus Christ. Now I want to ask Kurt Prater, we call him affectionately KP, uh, in, that, in that light, share a time when you've experienced great assurance in your knowledge of Jesus Christ, in your understanding of Christ, or when you have felt like, man, this is some of the best parts of knowing Christ, and I'd love others in our church to also experience that. Share about something like that in your life. So KP and worship pastor, and uh, there were two things that I thought about. One was in my high school pilgrimage, take that word, um, when I, when, when by God's grace, he connected the dots for me. I was a sinner. Christ died on the cross. And that, that happened in high school. So that was one of those, man, here's who Christ is. Here's how I want to spend the rest of my life following him. The second opportunity came when I graduated with a construction degree. Carrie and I, my wife, had been married for six months. And the Lord said, hey, I've got some different plans for you. And he wanted me to lay that construction de degree to the, to the side and then pursue him in ministry. And what became just a time of what are you doing, God, turned into we're going to trust you. You are our solid foundation. You're the one whom we want to build our life upon. And we're going to trust you as we take steps forward. So we clung to him. And as we have now navigated many years of now marriage and parenting and following the Lord in this calling, uh, it has been the greatest adventure. Following Christ is the greatest adventure I and we will ever experience as we see him as, as, as the Messiah, Christ. That's good. Chad, what about you? So I'm Chad, the Connections Pastor, and I'll talk really loud until, yes, okay. Uh, as a Connections Pastor, I get to help lead and, and facilitate our church family in living on mission, uh, specifically focused on neighbors all the way to nations. And so I get to help facilitate and lead that. And I was so focused on saying that correctly that I need you to say the question again. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. so as Paul, in, you know, was out of his overflow of understanding Christ, he was wanting to encourage them. Right. So what is it about your understanding of Christ time when you've had that experience and how you want that to translate into our church family. Yeah, so that the idea of knowing Christ for me, uh, there was the, the night that I first received Christ, when I told you that I was somebody's one, Brandon, and, and the Lord worked through Brandon in the way that he was uh, introducing me to Jesus and I becoming aware of my own sin, but there was a, a moment where I realized I was not anonymous to who, to God, that he knew my name that there was this reality that he had not just uh, was aware of the number of the hairs on my head, but he had counted them, he had placed them there. And so there was this intimacy with Christ that was overwhelming. And 
then 20 years later, as I was going through my own kind of fight with cancer, there was the moment between being diagnosed with cancer and then becoming aware of what cancer it was and how we were going to treat it. There was a two-week period where I was just told, look, you have cancer. We don't know what we're going to do about it yet. And don't go on the internet to try to research this on your own and just hang out for 14 days. And three days into that 14 days, there began this wrestling in my heart as to, do I really believe that God has me, that he, he, he cares about me, that he has my children and their best interest in mind, that he has my wife's best interest in mind, that, that all of these things that I deeply care about, I wasn't sure. And over the course of the next 48 hours of that time, through his word and through his, his people, he spoke to me and reminded me of just how intimately he is aware of me and exactly how he wired me, my fears, and he assured me that in all of the areas that I was afraid, he was bigger than that. Hmm. And, and so that assurance that he was present regardless of circumstance and that that intimacy with Christ is what fear me. And so I would say yeah. intimacy with him. That's good, man. That's good. All right, verse 4. I am saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. So, Kurt, Sparky. We have three Kurts, my son pointed out, on our directional team. We have Kurt Prater, Kurt Sparkman, and Kevin E. Kurt. <laughs> right here. So we have to specify the Kurt. All right, Kurt. Uh, how do you carry out a role of protecting our church family? So tell them what you do. And uh, I'm Kurt Spartman, the first Kurt. And uh, <laughs> just have to keep that in, in view. I'm the formations pastor, and what I, what I do is how are we growing in spiritual formation? So small groups, discipleship, all the things that we offer to help everybody move more towards Christ in those kind of arenas is what I do. Um, helping protect the church. I mean, that's a, that's a big question, and trying to figure out how you help navigate that. There's a couple of things for me that I think about that are that are really important. And, and one is, you know, that verse just talked about how do we protect from um, arguments and things that sound reasonable. Well, all of Colossians up to this point gives us how we do that. And that's helping people move toward Christ. Like it's, we want to focus a lot of times on what's external and this bad philosophy, that bad philosophy. Well, we'll miss one and not train in that. But if we stay close to Christ... Um, then we'll be able to identify whatever may come that's apart from him. So one of the first things we do as pastors is, how do we help everybody move more towards Christ and know him better? And that will protect. It's kind of the idea, many of us have already heard the idea of uh, a bank teller when they're first being taught how to identify counterfeits. Um, they're not taught all the counterfeits. They're taught how to identify a correct bill best and how to see all the features of a correct bill. Well, the same for us. We can't teach every outside philosophy. What we can teach is how to follow Christ, and that's what the trail of all does, and that's one. And then the other way that we protect is at times within the church, um, our sin, everybody's sin comes out, and we have to wrestle with that. And as pastors, a part of our role at times is to come alongside people in that space of their sin and help them move back toward Christ. Um, and that, the goal of that's with compassion, with patience, with kindness, in grace, trusting that God's going to help work in each person's life. That's good. That's Bank good. teller thing is good. I might use that. <laughs> I used your end of the storm last week, so trade off. <laughs> David. 
So I guess um, my answer would uh, really dovetail with Kurt's or almost repeat Kurt's. Um, as I thought about this question, I went back uh, to the same passage at the end of chapter 1 where Paul talked about proclaiming Christ. So we protect our church by continually pointing to Christ. Uh, he talked about warning and there are times when we have heart-to-heart -heart conversations with people to provide warning about the path they're on out of love and compassion, as Kurt said. We teach uh, God's word, so by teaching God's word, uh, there's a sense of protection in that. Uh, follow God's word, that's the safest path. And then uh, we labor to present everyone mature in Christ. And a lot of times, it is laborious to stand alongside people who are struggling, but we do it by the power of Christ that works mm. in us. And I think that's true of everybody sitting up here. Mm. Yeah. That's good. That's good. All right, let's look at verse 5. For I may be absent in body, but I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. So I want, I want these guys to answer the question, what most excites you or creates in you this, this sense of rejoicing related to your role as a pastor? And specifically, each of these guys has a role that gives them an advantage, a perspective uh, of what God is doing that is unique. And uh, that creates excitement and rejoicing. So I want each of them to talk about how that works out in their lives. So, Brett, you want to start us out? We'll just work our sure. way in. Um, this is great. I, I get to go first, and I take your answers, then <laughs> you're just out of luck. Um, I, I think for me, it's probably like, you know, when Paul says in that passage, um, he says, I, I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing uh, to see how well ordered you are in the strength of your faith in Christ. It, it's, it's probably the exact same thing. Paul's hearing stories uh, while he's in prison of what's happening in the church, and and the thing that excites me the most is when I hear uh, people in our church taking their next steps. Um, and sometimes they're small and sometimes they're big. Um, and it doesn't really matter. When I hear a small step, it's a, um, it, it fires me up. Um, we talk about generosity and, and people who are, are taking another step in, in their giving of their, of their time, their talent, their treasure, whatever those things are, I love. Um, I mean, one of my favorite things is uh, sitting over in the gym during a family meeting and hearing some of the stories that people tell of what God's doing in their life, it just brings this energy, um, this freshness of God's spirit is moving in him, and God's spirit is moving in her, in him, and in her. And so often as I go about my, my day, I don't, I don't get to hear all those stories. And so when I do, and it is, that's what fires me up. That's great. Yeah, I would say what gets me excited is when somebody has experienced what it's like to walk in obedience and the joy that that happens in that. And, and so anytime that I get to hear those stories uh, of, of the joy that they have because they did it God's way and they got to see flourishing happen because of their obedience, whether in their life or someone else's life. Echoing part of that, but people moving from just gaining information to transformation. Like I, I'm around a lot of Bible studies and a lot of that kind of momentum, but when someone takes something that they've learned and it really transforms their life and you hear someone who may come up at some point and say, hey, I've got a friend that needs Jesus. I'm going to bring them to you. And you go, no, 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 you're going to go share Christ with them. That's your, your calling. And to see what happens in their life when they go invest in someone else, 
and the joy that they experience from that, it, it's phenomenal. It's good. I'm going to answer this one later. Kurt, you're up. From, from our little kiddos to our adults, what, however small or large the next step is, seeing just the wheels turn, the gears, those connections being made, following Christ. And then I love this vantage point up here of what I get to see just in some of your facial expressions and the way that you are expressing your gratitude to the Lord through song and the time that we get to spend together each and every week. Oh, my Lanta is so, so good, so sweet. There it is, another Praetorism. Yeah, Praetorism, yeah, my Lanta, yeah. If you need a translation, see me after this service <laughs> <laughs> or visit with my wife. We do have fun together. If you haven't picked up on that, we do. All right, let's read verses uh, 6 and 7. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, being rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, and overflowing with gratitude. All right, so the question is, how do you focus personally on continuing in the faith, being, root up, being rooted and built up in Christ? Chad, how do you... How do you do that? I would say in the passage here it says, just as you received Christ Jesus. And when I think back to how I received Christ, that that's also the way I'm supposed to live in him and be rooted and built up in him. I received Christ when I was made aware of who he is, and I was also made aware of my sin. And so you think about faith and repentance were the elements that were at play when I first received Christ. And and so for me, it's a daily uh, recognition and a walking in when I become aware of sin in my life to confess, repent, make amends, and then look to Christ, not dwell on sin, but look to him and walk by faith and confidence that he paid it all. And, and so that's, that's how I would answer that. That's good. Brett? Yeah, I think for me, some of the practical disciplines are uh, what I have to put in my life on a regular basis. I... I I know through 20 some odd years of ministry, you can look back at the history of just my life, lifetime of pastors who were going strong and now are no longer. Uh, I mean, they're no longer in the ministry. And I think it was drilled in my head by a youth pastor when I was a kid, college professors, that um, you, you have to be connected to Jesus, rooted yourself. And I think one of the, the dilemmas or dangers for somebody in our role is you, you teach the Bible so much and you're around spiritual things so much that it can become a periphery experience um, that you're helping other people meet Jesus and you, there's, there's been no time for you and Jesus. And so some of the things that you would expect, um, time in the Word devotionally, uh, prayer, which is uh, Bible study is easier for me than prayer, so I have some app stuff that helps me uh, remember. Scripture memory, um, I mean, I just finished Nehemiah 519 last night, just in the, trying to continue to memorize Scripture. But, uh, and there's a lot of other disciplines, but I think the thing that has been the most important to me in rooting my um, real life walk with Christ every day has been uh, about two or three years ago, maybe, uh, we started a home group. Uh, about the time we were starting them in the church, we said, hey, we're going to have one. And uh, my home group became my small group because I didn't have one because Sunday morning I'm all over the place, different places. And so to walk with a group of people 
Uh, and we do different things from, we went through Philippians verse by verse. We do uh, the sermon uh, talkbacks sometimes. Um, whatever we're doing, I'm with these people. We're sharing life together. We're getting into the word together. We're praying together. And, and right now I could say like our home group uh, is a lot of relationships, not interpersonally, but we're going through some struggles. And to have a group of people to walk with and to know that uh, are going to walk with me and my family um, is one of the things that helps connect me to Christ because we're doing it. Uh, it's the micro church. It's, mm. it's the small church inside the big church yeah. uh, of people who are pushing each other to strive towards Jesus and follow him every day. Mm. 519? Yep. Go. Okay. Is it ESV? No, CSV. Well, this is ESV. Uh, remember for my good, oh my God, all the things that I've done for those people. Nehemiah 519. He's nice. spot on. I mean, you guys all knew that though, right? Yeah. <laughs> that was very cruel of you to do. What if I just froze <laughs> on the stage? Well, you said, I just memorized this last night. Like, just, Yeah, last <laughs> night was the first time I got it for the first time. Well, now you have it twice. Nailed it. Man. Praise oh. the Lord. He'll never forget yeah. Nehemiah 519. <laughs> Guarantee that. Nor will, I talk to Nor will I talk about it at the 11 o'clock service. That's right. In case That's I freeze right. up then. That's awesome. You know, one of the things that we, we do together is we regularly encourage each other to walk with the Lord. Because we know we have nothing to offer if we're not walking with the Lord. And when we walk with the Lord and we see you walk with the Lord, it's the greatest joy. It's when we walk with the Lord and we see anybody in our church family drift out of the faith it's our greatest sorrow and so we are committed to walking forward because we know it all flows out of that and we think about these this passage colossians 2 1 through 7 they're meaningful words they're family words they're things that paul wants the church to know about his heart and so i've asked these guys to think about what is one thing you want our church family to know about you and your family and your walk in this calling that they might not know that you believe if they knew it would encourage them and so let, let's start with Kurt and then we're going to skip David and go down the line then we'll come back to you David and let you take time so, so I, I imagine I speak for all all the peeps here but I, I do want you all to know that the the Prater family we're all in. Like, we love you. And we want you to know that. And we are so thankful that you let us into your life. That you share with us your joys. You share with us your sorrows. You let us come alongside you and help bear burdens. That's what we're called to do. And it brings us great joy. my youngest through six to Carrie and me. Everybody in between, the Prater family love you. I think one of the things for our family, Michelle and I both, uh, it's clear the Lord put us together because we have a passion for the word in such a way that we love to teach it. My wife, you've, you've been around her, she's incredible at, at sharing and that's a part of her gifting as well. And um, for our family, um, we love to see people's lives move to a biblical framework of decision making. Meaning, another way of saying that, we love to see people um, change the way they make daily decisions based on what they know about who God is. 
Um, and you'll hear my wife say, Michelle, say implications a lot. What are the implications of that belief? Um, and we, we, our whole family, in many ways, loves to see people move towards that biblical framework of decision-making. Um, and one of the things I want to encourage you with, as a pastor, you hear jokes about pastor's kids, right? They're the ones that go off the deep end and run, run away. They're funny until you're a pastor, um, and then it's your kids. Um, and so for, for us, one of the things that we loved seeing is our kids love this church. Last summer, I had a chance to be on sabbatical for a period of time, and our kids didn't understand until the sabbatical started that we wouldn't be here for a month. Um, and we had a coup on our hands when they heard we weren't going to be here. Um, and I can't tell you as a dad what that means to me to know that our kids love the church because that's one of the great passions we have for our kids is we want them to love the church and you are a part of helping them love the church. That's good. Yeah, so for my family, we have been recipients of your generosity, the way that you have loved us and rallied around us in, in challenging times. And because we are recipients of that generosity, we now feel compelled to to imitate your generosity as we invest in other people and the, and the folks that God brings into our lives. So as a family, we're constantly trying to position ourselves and posture ourselves towards other people in a way that we can come alongside them and be generous in their lives. And for me, as a pastor, one of the things I was trying to isolate, what would I describe it, or how would I describe what my just passion is as a pastor is removing obstacles from that stand in the way of people beholding Jesus Christ. Yeah, I think what I would love our church family to know is that, that pastors are pastors are people too. That should be a t-shirt we could get. Um, I'm on it. Yeah. Um, and what, what I mean by that is we, we struggle as we struggle. Like, like the things that are happening in your world and your family are happening in ours too. And so often when you, when you stand on a stage um, or um, something like that, people see you different. And uh, it, the difference is God, God has called me to disciple families through the local church where he's called you to be a teacher or you to be a person who helps people find insurance or whatever the case may be. Um, and so in that, you know, when, they, when, when a church brings you on staff, you, you hear this all the time. Not that I've been on a lot of staffs, but I hear that you hear this. Um, you know, say, hey, we're, we're, we're bringing you on. We're not hiring, you know, your wife. We're not hiring your family. And, and I've held that to be true. So there are things that I do that are a part of my calling and my job. Um, but that, that has nothing to do with my family and their ministry. And what I love is that I, I have to process a lot of, a lot of times through, like, um, if God called me out of ministry and he called me into another place of work, would, would my family still be doing ministry and still do, be doing the same things to walk towards Jesus as we do now? And I, can, I, I think I can say yes to that. Uh, and so I love moments that we have in our house as we sit down a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, just talking about with my wife and our kids, how can we love our neighbors well? And one of the people that God's laid on my heart from my lead someone uh, close to you, close to Jesus, one of my neighbors. And so I threw that out. And, and my kids laughed and they're like, that's your person. Stop asking us to do it for you. And, and, uh, <laughs> and we were talking about it. And, and my, my daughter said, well, why don't we buy them a gift card so that uh, they can go out on a date night, the husband and wife, 
And if they feel comfortable, we can babysit for them, their kids. And if they don't, then they can figure that out. But we've at least uh, given them our opportunity to go to date night just to say, we love you. And, and that wasn't because, that wasn't a pastoral assignment to my kids. That was just a dad trying to disciple the family and seeing my kids want to follow Jesus uh, like I hope your kids will want to follow Jesus. And so we, we're a lot like you. Uh, we just have a different, different job and, and, and a calling that, that plays into that. But we want to uh, raise our kids and disciple our families the same way that we would if we weren't sitting on a stage. That's good. David. When I was uh, 12 years old, if somebody asked me, what are you going to do when you grow up? I said, I'm going to be a pastor. Uh, I was uh, ordained to ministry in uh, 1974. That was 46 years ago. Went to seminary, uh, met Ellen. And when she said, yes, I'll marry you, uh, she uh, knew she was signing on to be a part of the calling the Lord had placed on my life. And uh, she has faithfully and sacrificially supported me in ministry uh, for all of those years. The Lord blessed us with two sons who grew up in this church and helped us, this church helped us give them a spiritual foundation as adults. They're walking with Christ now. And we are so grateful. We have two wonderful daughters-in-law who are walking with Christ. We have five grandchildren. Uh, over a year ago, I started talking to Kevin and saying, uh, I'm sensing a need uh, to make a transition uh, from full-time ministry to, in ministry to part-time in ministry. And he, uh, working with the personnel committee, have been so gracious uh, to work that out. And I'm so grateful that as of March 1st, you're, you're now looking at the semi-retired David Griffin. I, I don't know if I look any different. I'm not sure I feel any different right now, but uh, we're trying uh, to work that out. And in this new role, this kind of new phase in my life, I'll be doing some of what I've always been doing. One of the things that I have the privilege of focusing on is developing a plan uh, to lead our church uh, to provide care and support for all of our pastors. Brett said it a minute ago, we're all people who struggle. We're all human beings. And so um, I want to lead our church to make sure our pastors get uh, the support they need personally, the support they need in their marriages and in their families uh, to succeed in their calling and to finish well. And I, I'm excited about getting to have a part in that. Not sure what it, all it's going to look like yet. Uh, but and, and as a part of that, um, to hold our pastors accountable for participating in the FBG family in community. Like Brett said a minute ago, it's possible to, for us to be around people all the time but be isolated. And so we want to hold our pastors accountable for being uh, a part of the small group structure of this family where we're going uh, beneath the surface to be open and honest about what's going on in their lives. So uh, that's how I would answer that question. That's great. Do you all hear the hearts? 
I, I just want you to know if, if this is your first time here and you want to become a part of a church family, you got some people here who are called to help you flourish in Christ. This is a good place. And God has blessed us. And when God blesses a church family like he's blessed this church family, then from that church family, much is required. And I hope you're encouraged to recognize that God would not require much from us if he did not intend to use us greatly to lead someone who's close to you, closer to Jesus.